when I'm in clinic seeing patients, there's a toddler or maybe even an older kid and they're rolling on the floor or pacing around or whining. And actually this past week, I had two kids who literally licked the walls. And when I see that, I think to myself, you know, I would really like to behave like that when I'm frustrated or angry or tired or hungry. It takes a lot of self-control to act like an adult when I'm hungry or when I don't get what I want. And if you ask my family, sometimes I do come home and have tantrums. One of the interesting things about kids is that if they have behaviors that are difficult or challenging for the family's sanity, we call it bad behavior. But there really aren't bad kids. They are behaving that way for a reason. Sometimes it's just normal hunger or boredom. Sometimes it's anxiety or depression or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and that shows up as bad behavior. It's complicated to identify the cause of behavior issues. Not every kid with depression is going to be sad. Sometimes kids with depression are angry or irritable or avoidant, or maybe even just come off as shy. Or sometimes they can have physical symptoms like headaches or stomach aches. A good first step for a parent is to figure out if the behaviors are a problem that need to be addressed, or are they just typical kid actions? On today's episode, we're gonna sort through how you can tell if a child needs an evaluation for a behavior problem and where you can get help. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. Can it be normal for a child to lick the walls in my clinic or just like randomly yell out the word fart? And for a teenager, is it okay if they just run out of the room because they refuse to get a vaccine? Well, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes that behavior is normal. The teens, that might be a little extreme for them to run out of the clinic, but I've seen it happen. Kids can do some pretty crazy things that don't necessarily mean they have a behavior problem. My friend, Dr. Hillary Bowers is here with me today. She's the medical director of behavioral and mental health services at Children's Primary Care Medical Group in Southern California. That's where I work. She has five children of her own and she is trained in pediatric behavioral health. So she's the one we need to help us today. We're gonna talk through exactly how a parent can tell when they need help from a professional for a child's behavior and how to get help. Of course, the best starting point is gonna be in your pediatrician's office. Why do parents bring their kids to you or to any doctor when they're worried about a behavior at home? Parents bring or caregivers bring their children who live in the home with them to the pediatrician to have a conversation about behavior, usually when the parent or caregiver is interpreting the behavior as a problem or it is a challenge to the functioning of the home, to how the kid's doing at school, to how they're interacting with their peers. So that is usually when they'll actually show up in your office. So tell me, like the really young kids, what problem behaviors do parents come and talk to you about? So when they're really young, we're looking, obviously there's infancy where are you do they eat? Do they sleep? Do they pee? Do they poop? Right? If they're not doing one of those four things, something's off. And that can be not a behavior that we think of an 
adolescence, like, oh, they're choosing to do this, but it means something is off and that child eats, sleep, pee, poop. And I think those four things kind of hold regardless of what age you are. So that's your baseline. That's your foundation. If eat, sleep, pee, poop, those are not going well, then we need to have a, we need to have a discussion. As kids get older, we look at what is your job, So when you are preschool age, your job, if you're going to preschool, is to go to preschool. So that means you need to be able to separate from whoever is dropping you off. You need to then separate from your teacher and go back to whoever's picking you up. You need to interact with your coworkers, so to speak. So the other kids at the preschool, are you learning how to share? Are you learning how to take a nap, maybe not in your own bed? Are you learning how to eat foods that maybe aren't quite the temperature you're used to or the texture that you're used to? So these are your jobs to be going out in the environment. As you get older, you know, again, we just keep building on those. So at some point you're learning how to read and to write and you're learning about math. And then if you have kids who have dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, any sort of learning difficulties, the learning difficulty might actually present as school refusal. Right. So a kid doesn't want to go to school because they don't feel successful there. Correct. Because that's where the kid's having a challenge. And boy, is it nicer to be at home, to be with the parent maybe who's home or the babysitter or the dog that I really love and I can cuddle and they can watch TV. And so you may see a kid who's calling you right before math class every day to come pick you up because I have a headache and I already went to the nurse's office or a belly pain. And then they come home and they get to snuggle with the dog. They get to watch some cartoons. They get to bake cookies. And that's so much better than struggling with the math. Kids at that age, unless you ask them some very specific questions, they are not going to come to you and say, "Uh, oh, by the way, like the letters are flipped or things are wiggly on the page, which are some of the common things we'll see for kids with dyslexia. It'll just be, I don't want to do it. It's too hard. Literally throwing yourself on the ground. As you get to adolescence, it's who am I? What's my sense of self? So kids will be spending more time outside of the home. So that means, are they engaging in relationship building? Do they have friends? Do they have school friends? Do they have out-of-school friends? Do they have religious group friends? Do they have sports group friends, band? Like, what is their environment? And are they still engaging with them? So a kid who's struggling... Wow, they used to love woodshop. And now all the tools in the garage just sit there. Nothing, right? Or they used to do it, now they won't practice their instrument. So when I see patients in the clinic, I ask everybody at every age at their well visit, I ask them, do you have friends? How are you eating? How are you sleeping? And I ask about poop. And I do think that parents are confused about why I'm asking those questions, but those all give me really great clues to a child's behavioral health and whether they're having issues with autism, anxiety, depression, because they will show up with symptoms in those domains. That is a true statement. That is a true statement. And if nothing else, it brings a little humor. Because when you ask about (laughs) pee and poo in that preteen teen phase, almost everybody in the room will smile. Yes, And especially if you're dealing with a heavy topic, a little humor goes a long way. Yeah. And it is surprising to parents how often kids will say, oh yeah, I, I am having problems with pee or poop. And they don't know because they're not in the bathroom with their kids. Correct. And I mean, I hear a lot about not wanting to use the bathroom at middle school and these kids yeah. are holding and then they have yeah. tummy aches. Right. 
yeah, they're holding it all day because it smells. Or same at high school. Kids won't use the toilet. Or they're not using the toilet just out of pure anxiety. And same with eating. Like kids, one of the symptoms that I see most often that means maybe an anxiety disorder is kids just aren't eating. Yes. Yeah, because they're worried maybe they had nausea and threw up once and now they're afraid it's going to happen again. So they just don't. Parents can notice whether behaviors are only a problem in school Mm -hmm. or if they're a problem at school and at home, then that might mean something's going on that could be anxiety or depression versus Mm -hmm. if something is only happening at home or only happening at school, that that could be related to the environment they're in, that maybe they have a school problem. What are some of the other ways that you can tell that there's something you need to investigate more? If a kid's grades are dropping, right? So that's, again, that's their job. Their job is to do as well as possible in school. Looking and seeing how the child is presenting or the adolescent is now presenting themselves to you. Hopefully they're involved. You've known them for many years and now suddenly they're dressing completely differently. They're coming in with tattoos or piercings or you know, stick and pokes or just a different style of dress. It's usually a change that they're, you know, maybe trying to figure out who they are, which is great. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing in adolescence. However, are they doing it of their own free will? Is it because they're doing it because they want to belong, right? Adolescence is all about belonging and finding your group. So have they found a group that maybe isn't so great for them? Are they using substances that are not legal for those under the age of 18? Uh, Those are some other things. We talked about those physical symptoms like eating and sleeping, that those can indicate a problem. And we've talked about whether they have friends or not. Are there any other things that parents can look for that would make them concerned that they would need to bring their child to the doctor? So there's the general gestalt. Like, does your kid seem off? Are they not doing the things that you thought they were doing? Is the light in their eyes a little dull? I mean, that this is a little softer and it's not so, it's not obvious, right? It's not sort of the same as you walk in on your child and unfortunately they're cutting, right? That's, that's a pretty big sign in your face that this is not okay and things have gone off the rails. What's cutting? Um, cutting. So like if um, self-harm. So hurting themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so where are, is your child hurting themselves, right? Is your child hurting themselves in any way, you know, with a razor blade or a pencil? Is that pretty common? Is it common? I think it's, you're going to see it more in people who are struggling with anxiety and depression. You will see it more uh, with people who may be struggling with body image or getting to know. I'd say the natural history of it, you, you may see... In middle school, sometimes someone will do it and they'll pass it around. They're talking to their friends and like, hey, I tried this and it was kind of helpful. And then when you talk to kids a year or two later, they're like, yeah, I did that in the past, but I don't do that anymore. And I realized that it's not a healthy coping skill. But sometimes, you know, it may be the parent who sees that, but that's definitely a big flag. Hygiene is a big thing, right? Once a kid's really established a hygiene routine and you see it going away, that's a challenge. Right, that's something to address. They used to shower. They used to spend a half an hour like on their hair and the makeup and the clothing and whatever, getting ready in the morning. And now they're just rolling out of bed in last night's clothes. What about significant weight changes like gaining weight or losing weight? Yeah. So I think that's a really big thing too. Sometimes parents don't notice the weight loss because kids will wear really baggy clothing. And so I think this is why it's important to keep an eye on your kid or maybe 
kind of just sneak a peek as they're maybe coming out of the shower in a towel or something. You know, yes, we give them their privacy, but yes, we need to keep an eye out at the same time. You know, hug your kid. When you hug your child, you will feel their body and you'll get a sense of how big they are. Hugs are good, right? Oh, and here's here's another thing, uh, Dr. Hunter, that I wanted to make sure I said about hugs. 20 seconds, heart to heart, 20 seconds, Breathe in, breathe out slowly, count to 20 seconds. 20 seconds is a long time. 20 seconds is how long it takes to make sure the two of you really get in sync and you connect. So try it. A hug will help with some things, but be sure to keep your mouth shut when you're hugging. Most kids don't want to hear anything from you. They just want a hug. Here's when a child's behavior might signal a real issue. First, if the behavior is interrupting family life, that's really just enough that you do need to go and get help. Second, if any of their daily functioning is not going well. So that's the things we were talking about, like eating, sleeping, peeing, pooping. I'd add on grades to that and maybe hygiene as well. Third, if their friendships have changed or if they don't have any friends their age, that can be concerning. And lastly, if your general worry is up, it's okay to bring your kid to the pediatrician for evaluation just for that reason. If any of the things we talked about before the break resonate with you, maybe now you have an idea of whether your child's behavior might be worth talking to their doctor about. As you know though, It can be hard to find a therapist, but there is a lot parents can do at home. There are treatments available to help kids of all ages from toddler to teenager. Dr. Bowers and I start with home programs that can help with problem behaviors. With a behavior, I like to use the ABCs. Look at the behavior and then think about the antecedent. So the A, what came before the behavior? That's a really big word. Okay. Antecedent. Got it. Antecedent is a really big word. (laughs) So here's your behavior, the B. A, what came before the antecedent? And then C, what is the consequence of the behavior? And I use the term, so that's the C. So ABC, antecedent behavior consequence. I use consequence not in the term that a lot of parents think about it, which is you did something that I don't like, therefore you're now in timeout. That is the consequence. The consequence could be, say we have a kid in school, they have a reading difficulty. It's now, they have to read out loud in front of everyone. They're afraid everyone's gonna laugh at them. They can't do the words. They don't wanna do it. So the behavior is they make a ruckus in class. The antecedent was I was going to have to read out loud. The behavior is I make a ruckus, I steal some papers, I fall on the floor, whatever it is that I do enough of that see the consequences, the teacher sends me to the principal's office. So for the teacher, this is a punishment, right? They think they're redirecting. For the student, this is a reward. This is yeah, amazing. Win. I got they get what they wanted. I totally got what I wanted. This is great. I don't have to be there anymore. So you have to really think about the consequence, what is it and how does it relate to the behavior and what came before that? So that's one thing, really deep dive and figure out why it's going on. 
So there's kids under like age nine and 10. Mm -hmm. Anyone younger than that, I find that you can't really control their behavior all that much, but you can control your own behavior as the parent that sets the stage for how they respond. Are there programs that parents can do to learn how to surround their child with support or do this ABC thing? (laughs) Do this ABC. So the ABC is from Alan Kasdan, K-A-Z-D-I-N. Oh, he has that online course on Coursera. Yes. Yeah. So he has online stuff. So you can check that out. It's free. Free. So this is my favorite four-letter word is free. And it's an F word. Right on. (laughs) Yeah, right? I make that joke not infrequently at work. So Alan Kasson's ABCs is really great. So that's Parenting the Defiant Child. There's also... Ross and Green in term, and they have a lot of stuff on YouTube and they have books as well in terms of oppositional behaviors. So is the child and the parent, how are they interacting well? There's triple P parenting and there's also positive parenting. So those are another couple of, again, you can access all these online. Not all of them are free, but they're all online. So those are some things as well. Um, If your child is under five, looking in your community resource here in San Diego County, we have First Five. First Five exists in many places and that's a place where they have a lot of parenting classes and thinking about your mindset. I think that's totally correct, which is we do not, we are as a human, we are not able to control someone else's behavior, but we can absolutely learn how to control how we react to it. And if you have the gift of having more than one caregiver in the home, more than one parent in the home, then learn when to tap out. Oh yeah, take a break. And if you don't, if you are single parenting, doing it by yourself, learn when to take a timeout. A timeout, cool down time is not a punishment. It is you recognizing that this is not going well. If you are yelling at your child, you are having an adult tantrum. I love recommending to parents that they demonstrate in front of their child when they get upset, Mm -hmm. taking a moment and sitting down in their calm down corner and blowing on a pinwheel or playing with some silly putty because then the kid is going to mimic them and later get angry and be like, I'm going to be just like mom. I'm going to go to my calm down corner. That's absolutely correct. And I think a lot of times we learn skills and then we expect the kids just to pick it up by osmosis. Like they're just sort of they, they just know how to do things. No, they don't know how to do things. We teach them how to do things. So just like we teach them how to eat and use a fork and tie their shoes and ride a bike, we need to teach them how to deal with their emotions. Then parents need help outside the home. So especially with older kids, when they mm-hmm. just need, maybe they need formal therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, dial. Dialectic behavioral therapy. (laughs) Dialectical behavioral therapy. There's a lot of therapies. Yeah. A lot of types of therapy. I don't know anything about them. We're not therapists, but how can parents find someone to help them? You can contact your insurance company for a list of providers, list of therapists who are contracted with your insurance. And in theory, there'll be a lower copay. So that's one. You can look at psychologytoday.com. So psychologytoday.com lists and you can search by zip code and gender and type of therapy that they do and insurance. So that's another way to do. You can talk to your pediatrician. Uh, They may be someone who has an integrated health therapist in the office to get you started in some short-term therapy, or they may have a list of people that they know in the neighborhood. You can contact your school district. There are counselors in the schools And if your child has a 504, an IEP, 
you can access those services. So talking to the school district, uh, your child's local school would be important. Some people do therapy, have therapists through their religious organizations. So that'd be another one. If you are part of one, talking to your faith leader uh, and you know going that way. There are a number of services online now that you can do. Some are a little more adult-oriented. I'll tell you my favorite. Tell me, tell me your favorite. My favorite for young kids, like age seven to 12, I'll let you guess, who have anxiety and don't want to go to a therapist is online Camp Copalot. I love Camp oh, nice. Copalot. And so many families have done it and they love it. it. It does cost money, but it's like a 12 session cartoon online game that the kids play. And it really does help kids to learn how to manage their anxiety. There also are a couple of workbooks that I've had parents work through with their kids, which is really cool because there are prompts and questions Mm -hmm. to the kids that the parents would never have thought to ask. I had one patient who, like you said, he was having massive problems at school. And I can't remember how this came out, but it had to do with a question in the workbook. He had a problem with his lunchbox. Like there was, I think he was being made fun of because of his lunchbox. Mm. And that's why he didn't want to go to school. And once mom realized that, she was like, well, I can get you a different lunchbox. So sometimes those workbooks can be helpful to start new conversations between a parent and child. Melon Bubble is one that's out of Australia. And again, anxiety, it's online. It gives you things. There's lots of apps out there like Wobot and Finch in terms of... It's CBT and like Finch is you take care of a little pet and you set habits for yourself. And it also oh, creates those. cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. It's CBT. really doing cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy, but in a cartoon form. I know there's a fun. lot of those apps and it's interesting because most of them you can try for free and you should try a bunch of them because some of them don't jive with me. I am never going <laughs> to meditate, but some of them I love. Right. Right. Like you'll have a parent come in like, I love calm. My kid won't do it. I can't get them to do it. And I'm like, well, then we need to try something else. Yeah, exactly. Try a bunch of different stuff. What role do you think genetics plays in terms of a child having anxiety or depression? A significant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Would you like to expand Sorry. on that? So, <laughs> how do genetics impact the possibility that your child may have a behavioral mental health concern, right? So we know ADHD 25%. So if you're an adult with a diagnosis of ADHD and you have children, on average, 25% of your children will also have a diagnosis of ADHD. Super, super genetic. Um, Anxiety and depression, also genetic. So it doesn't mean it's destiny. And it also doesn't mean, great, okay, I have anxiety. I now have a child who has anxiety. It doesn't mean that my child's anxiety experience through childhood has to be the same as mine because now they have the gift of having a parent with anxiety who understands what they're going through. So yes, very genetic. You know, you have brown eyes, your kids will probably have brown eyes. You know, there's diabetes later in life in your family. Unfortunately, there'll probably be diabetes in you. You know, you have anxiety and depression. Odds are one of your kids is gonna struggle with anxiety and depression at some point in their life. You giving them a foundation of how to deal with that and how their thoughts, their behaviors, their emotions interact their experience through childhood and adolescence and even adulthood could be drastically different than yours. We know they're genetically inherited. And so we know that there's a biological basis for a lot of these issues for anxiety, depression, ADHD, Mm -hmm. and so on. 
So is there also a role for medication? And what's your take on medications? Medication is another tool in our toolkit. It's not a mandatory tool, but it is something that can be very helpful to take advantage of the fact that in child and adolescent, your brain is very dynamic and it is changing with time. And so we can wind up giving it a little boost in this direction or that direction with the medications, which then allows what I call the cotton ball. Like, so the kid is then better able to focus on what we'd like them to focus on, in this case, the therapy piece, and they're more willing to engage in the therapy. The other things I prescribe are healthy eating and healthy exercise, right? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, healthy snacks, having meals with other humans, so that you're engaging it, having no screens with meals. So you're engaging with your food, being involved in preparing the food. So now you're giving the gift of food to your family or your friends. That helps with self-esteem and self-worth, finding purpose outside of yourself, volunteering. I just talk about this a lot in clinic. What are you doing to help give to somebody other than yourself? It could be someone in your family, it could be someone in your community, but what are you doing? Are you working at a youth group? Are you volunteering at a food bank? Do you help at the animal shelter? Something where somebody's expecting you to show up. They care that you are there or not. And then you are being able to help somebody. It helps with time management, right? So if you say, I'm going to do this, then you can't just spend two hours on homework or TikTok or whatever else you're doing. Sleep. I don't want to forget about sleep. This is so critical. It was one of those things, if sleep is off, your daytime is off. So I can, I can be doing all the therapy I want. I, we, maybe we're using medications, we're eating healthy, but then we're getting three hours of sleep a night. Things will not go well. They will not trend in the direction we want them to. Kids really should be getting a good eight to 10 hours of sleep. Younger kids even more. And the sleep needs to come when it's dark outside. So I'll have kids that are staying up till five in the morning and then you know they sleep until one or two in the afternoon. They're like, well, I'm getting eight hours of sleep, Dr. Bowers, but they're not during our circadian rhythm time. And they don't get enough sunshine hours to their brain and to their body. So they just are basically living in the dark all the time, literally living in the dark. Yeah, and they're not regenerating those healthy brain chemicals that they need to regulate their mood if they're not sleeping when it's dark out. And we know there's good science behind that. I prescribe the good sleep. And if a patient is having a hard time falling asleep at bedtime, I make them wake up at the same time every morning at like 8 or 9 a.m. in order to start to regulate their clock because they're going to have a hard time falling asleep if they've been in this pattern. And it can take up to three weeks to create a new sleep pattern. So again, you, you may have experienced this as well. A patient comes in, well, I tried it for a couple nights and it didn't work. We get, we, let's try it for a week and check back in. Let's try it for another week and check back in. Like, let's really commit to doing it for at least three weeks to a month and before we get the deep dive reevaluation and that you can tell me that it doesn't work. Um, exercise is another thing that I think is very important. Even five minutes, like start where you're at. Because a lot of times you'll have patients say, well, I, I can't afford a gym membership or you know, things are too far for me or whatever. Like, well, you have shoes and you can find hopefully a safe place to walk. There are so many online free exercise videos now. One of my favorite yoga ones is Yoga by Adrian. 
Uh, she's out of Texas and it's 10 to 20 minute yoga videos. And she has ones that are literally called yoga when you don't feel like doing anything. <laughs> it's, <awesome. laughs> like, it's so great. I'm like, yes, that's the one for me today. Therapy is very helpful for a lot of my patients, but some kids aren't willing to try therapy. And in that case, I either recommend reframing it, so call it something else. Tell them you're getting them a life coach, which really is what a therapist is anyway. It just might sound better when you say it that way. The other thing is that if someone is in therapy and they're not making a lot of progress, that's when you might want to consider medication. It can often help to make the therapy more successful. The most important point today is that your family doesn't need to suffer from child's behavior problems at home. There is help and it can take work, but you're not alone. Your pediatrician can help guide you. Thank you to Dr. Hilary Bowers, who has created a program with more than 140 pediatricians who provide mental and behavioral health inside our pediatric offices. It's a unique program, and you can expect to see more pediatricians across the country providing services like this to support the health of the whole child, not just their physical health, because it really is all connected. For more information on this program, see the show notes, and be sure to share this episode with anyone you know who may be dealing with child behavioral health issues. Thanks for listening. Now, go give your kid a hug. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.